Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only. Honored today to have Mona Dejani on, who is a global leader and a partner in the energy infrastructure and water team at Pillsbury, Winthrop, Shaw, and Pittman, both the New York and, and London offices. I asked Mona to join us after reading an article that she recently wrote in Green Tech Media, where she talked about some of the challenges in underwriting and understanding energy storage as an investment, something I think many folks in the market are talking about today. Mona's got experience seeing multiple deals in the renewable space over 20 years, has advised multiple acquisitions, financings. She serves on public boards like the American Council on Renewable Energy, as well as been ranked as one of the best leaders in America. Mona will help guide us through some of the challenges that we're seeing today in energy storage and, you know, helps me and hopefully you as well sort of better understand the the frame that we should be looking at uh, this market, not just today, but over the next 10 years. I hope you enjoy. Mona, thanks so much for joining us at Experts Only. Thank you very much for having me on your show. You have an absolutely fascinating background you know, before you ended up doing the work you're doing today at Pillsbury, I, you know, I want to talk through sort of your, I would call sort of your origin story. You know, how did you decide to get into renewable energy? You've been in the space for almost two decades and really have helped shape uh, the market develop uh, and, and, you know, really diving into the deal side, which is uh, somewhat unique over, over time. So, you know, first, let's sort of step back and say, why renewable energy? What got you interested in that space? There were a variety of reasons, but probably the biggest one was I find it very interesting and challenging, and I feel that I'm also giving back to the world and hopefully leaving it in a better place after I leave. (laughs) That's great. That's great. And were you, was it renewable energy first or law first? Like what was your, uh, what was your path into... Uh, sort of the, the the merge of those two careers? Well, I, um, many years ago, as right out of college, I uh, worked at Enron in Houston. So I was doing energy. And right. um, I also, you know, I also have an engineering degree. So I was doing energy. And then I started going more into the corporate. And then I got, and then I married the energy with uh the law, and along the way got an MBA, and I really was just, um, you know, I, I really loved putting deals together in the space where, you know, there there was a lot of different challenges and different challenges, and it was a very, you know, a new market, a new frontier, and I was very excited to be part of it and be a pioneer in its development, both from a you know, financial slash legal slash policy point of view. Interesting. I mean, you, you, you've got to sort of really be able to tackle all of those different challenges when you get into renewable energy, because looking at whether it be state by state or, or global versus domestic, you know, none of the, there's no sort of uh, just out of the box market we're living in. It's, it's, it's piece by piece per, per deal. And how, but I, I do want, you know, because you've been in it for so long in a very positive yeah. way and seen it progress, like, 
you know, as you've begun to sort of grow in the space and see these deals come together, you know, what are some of the trends that you have really begun to see in the DG market that have changed from where we were, say, 10 years ago? Let's see. I think that, uh, well, um, first of all, it is, I'm very excited to see that renewable energy has outpaced coal. And, um, you know, and that's very exciting. And that wind and solar uh, have accounted for more than 50% of the of total U.S. renewable power generation, uh, which I like. Um, I like that um, there are declining costs and rising capacity factors uh, of renewable energy sources, along with increased competitiveness of battery, battery storage, uh, drove growth. Um, I'm seeing levelized cost of uh, onshore wind and utility-scale solar have uh, declined, while uh, along with um, offshore wind, I've also seen a great decline in lithium-ion battery storage. Right. And this this decline in battery storage has begun to really start making an indent on renewable and making intermittent wind and solar uh, increasingly more competitive with traditional, you know, dispatchable energy sources. So, uh, you know, I saw significant demand from a lot of different market segments, as well as overall consumer sentiment remaining positive. I've seen um, renewable energy consumption um, increasing and uh, also industrial consumption, as well as um, U.S. corporates, you know, getting into uh, renewable energy and power purchase agreements. Um, I think I saw more than uh, 5.9 gigawatts in the first half of 2019 last year. Yeah, it's amazing so, the leadership we're seeing out of, out of, out of corporate America. Totally, space. yeah, it totally is. I'm seeing a lot of... Um, you know, that it's just very, I'm just bullish, you know. Um, right. You know, I think that, you know, we're watching the tariffs, you know, what's going on in China. You know, solar developers are optimistic. So that's, you know, that's that's really great. I think that the, you know, the cost competitiveness has really been huge in this space. And the rapidly declining renewable energy cross, uh, costs and the maturation of energy storage are really enabling renewables to compete and replace coal right. and aging gas and nuclear. So let, let me ask you, you know, putting your, your sort of legal hat on, you know, yeah. Pillsbury is one of the leading firms in the country helping to sort of manage some of these acquisitions and as we're getting yeah. more into these complex, you know, it's no longer just a pure solar PPA. There are still pure solar PPAs, right? And 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 yeah. wind, uh, wind PPAs. But now we're looking at, you know, incorporating. We'll talk more about storage here in a second. But the, the deal's just becoming uh, even more complex, right? And you've got a lot of folks out in the market who will claim to be experts on on things like solar plus storage. But, you know, it's hard to be an expert on something that, didn't even exist five years ago. So, you know, what are right. you seeing from 
sort of the the legal acquisition side that has been sort of developing in the market is, as I imagine you're seeing probably a, more competition of folks who claim to be able to do what you guys can do. Yeah, I mean, look, there's definitely much more competition because, uh, like anything else, they see more opportunity. Right. But uh, this this space still is very small. There are a handful of really constant who are uh, utility scale developers. There are usually a small number of tax equity investors that expand and shrink depending on where we are in the market. And I also see that it, there's a lot more complexity that, you know, the expression that they say, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, and it really, um, I see it when, you know, either a lot of money is spent on a deal that doesn't close you know, it's because because they failed to see some of the red flags at the beginning of the deal that they should have. Yeah. Or the other thing is I see is that, you know, something happens, which is inevitable. Uh, you know, I was working on a deal recently where there was a credit rating change and the inexperienced don't know how to deal with that. And it's just easiest to just kill the deal and move on. And that's not really economical. It's not cost effective or efficient for anyone in this space. And it's very much a relationship-driven uh, space. And uh, we, uh, you know, I've been in this space, as you noted, for more than 20 years. I know a lot of the uh, C-level people, not only in the United States, but uh, abroad, in Asia, in Europe, a lot in Europe, um, in the Middle East. And we, we also, uh, you know, help put deals together and structure them. And if we have some kind of hiccup, we're able to talk to all the sides, you know, the uh, depending on what side you're on, but I mean, the bankers, the tax equity, if there's any, the buyer and seller, and try to come up with a way to make the deal work, if it makes sense, you know, but usually, you know, it's very, I see a lot where, um, and our difference is that we know, we know the industry, we know the people, we know the nuances of the different technologies. We also know, and we're willing to introduce uh, new financing mechanisms and trends, you know, new and trend new ways to close the deal. And a lot of it depends right. on the relationships, you know, that you have and the trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've done a really great job getting out from behind your desk in a law firm and spending time, for instance, in the board of directors of ACOR, right? And, and, and engaging the yeah. media. You know, what is what is those experiences sort of taught you, uh, not just about the market, just in, you know, as a as a leader about getting involved with sort of the broader uh, discussions that are happening around the space? Well, I think that, um, first of all, I enjoy getting out there and meeting people in our industry and working with them. I enjoy it. I love being on the board for ACOR. It's an amazing organization. As you know, I've been reelected 
Uh, I'm the only attorney as well on the board. Everyone that's on the board is a recognized, like, market leader in renewable energy, bar none. I mean, if you look at it and see the people on there, it's just, you know, the top. So I'm very privileged to share the, you know, the board with, uh, you know, all the members of the board and to hopefully shape the direction of ACOR, which has been um, a tremendous organization under the leadership of uh, Greg Whetstone, amazing uh, leader and other people within the ACOR organization that support ACOR to really be a international leader in the space. And they, and it's not only, um, ACOR is not only an organization to, you know, network, but also have an, you know, look at what cutting edge industry trends, because they're happening right there at the board. Right. I'm watching it happen or sometimes creating it. And that's really, truly very exciting. And ACOR has also been responsible for policy as well uh, at the federal level, as well as uh, the state level at certain states with respect to really promoting um, all forms of renewable energy. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, ACOR is uniquely seated compared to the other industry groups that have their their singular vertical focus, right? Whether it be the solar industry or wind or or the Energy Storage Association, Greg has really helped uh, ACOR look across the different verticals. And, you know, ACOR, to their credit, was one of the first ones, you know, with the, um, the what was it called? The Renewable Energy Finance Forum, I think. Um, you know, really right. bring the finance piece into the conversation uh, in, a, in right. a unique way. Right. So, it's absolutely critical, you know, the financing piece. Um, you have to, you know, understand that piece to accelerate and unlock capital for uh, renewable projects that they're not going to get done. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I do want to dive into uh, a little bit of meat here, specifically around uh, energy storage. So the, the trigger for this conversation was a phenomenal piece you wrote in Green Tech Media in December, challenges remain in understanding energy storage as an investment. And, you know, I sort of saw that article and, and realized I wanted to sort of dive deeper into this with you because for me, I've sort of seen sure. storage as a holy grail for DG for the last decade, and we're now only seeing it come to the market in real scale, but not without significant challenges. And you know, people on this podcast uh, have talked about energy storage being similar to the solar market ten years ago, but you know, I think as you pointed out in your article, it's just it's just more complicated than that. It's not as simple as a twenty-year offtake and you pr- you produce X and you pay why because there's a bunch of different business models and policy implications to batteries uh, and how you right. manage them. That so so I do want so starting off. I, you know how are you involved in sort of the energy storage market uh, on the deal side, and you know what are some of the current trends that you're seeing today uh, as the markets be really begin to develop? Yeah. So what I do, uh, what I've been doing a lot is. Um, you know, we're there as you, you know, there, there's a uh, there's a lot of industry demand for 100 percent clean energy. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, as I said in the article, that's like that has really pivoted our market. And now you'll see corporations whereby they want to be in the space and economics profit is actually secondary 
And they're more focused on, you know, the, you know, ESG and uh, really committing to uh, clean and uh, clean energy, sustainable energy, et cetera. So what, what, you know, so what I see is a lot of uh, what I do is I will put the deals together. Usually, you know, there's different parties to the transactions that, that are, that already in discussion, and then I help crystallize how the deal could look like, and uh, then I will, uh, depending on what side I'm representing, right. you know, because uh, it, it really does vary, whatever side I'm on, but at the end of the day, um, I think everyone has the same, uh, you know, end point, which is uh, to finalize the deal. So, you know, but having either storage either as a standalone asset or by adding it to an existing power source is very, uh, you know, individualized, um, you know, and there's different risk and returns from every project that's different, you know, uh, right. because because it all, you have to understand um, how each project deploys power that's highly variable you know, some are able to generate income while others uh, can charge and deploy energy while others just deploy. And then there's interconnection considerations and and co-location as well. So it's very, it's, you have to understand the intricacies of the ultimate project, the asset management of it to get, to mitigate the risk and to optimize you know, as much as you can, the uh, full potential of the investment. And and are you seeing, so, you know, you mentioned the article specifically, the Orsett project down in, in Texas, which is, I think if I read it correctly, over 400 megawatts. Are you seeing more utility scale solar plus storage the, today coming through the deals? Or are you beginning to see stuff happening at the, the, the sort of commercial industrial DG level as well? I'm seeing a lot um, in both utility scale and DG, and also with, um, you know, they call it digital infrastructure, you know, data centers and bundled with uh, cell phone towers, as well as they, they're calling it digital infrastructure. So that's, I mean, what I what I introduced, what I wanted to show in the article was you know, just a couple big ones because I thought that would be more attention grabbers. But because yeah, people have heard of them, you know, because people have heard of them. But there's um, quite a bit in the also in the DG space, and there's a lot that we haven't heard about. I mean, I just picked two, you know, that I know or that I know that people would have heard of. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why I raise it because I feel like it's more than just the utility scale. And I think one of the challenges. Um, I think you you talked about sort of the current costs versus sort of the resiliency, uh, energy security uh, paradigm that they're trying to solve, whether it be data centers or cell phone towers. And in, in these deals, yeah. as they're coming together, I, I put my my hat when I was at Bloom a few years ago uh, before starting yeah. Clean Capital, and it was often that the off-taker, the end user, would want the resilience but didn't understand how to cost it into the you know, for instance, the price per kilowatt hour, right? And right. we're still then comparing that to what they had today just from the utility. Are you seeing those off-takers becoming 
more mature in their ability to sort of analyze that. So almost, almost energy is a storage package or energy is a service package. Yeah, I mean, we're still in the infancy stages. I mean, I will tell you that when I first started doing this for my first wind project over 20 years ago, everyone was afraid of construction risk. Right. And no one could take that risk. And now it's so mainstream, like everyone wants to take it. So what I'm seeing a lot in energy storage is a focus on the technology. And that's why there's a heavy emphasis on this digital infrastructure, you know, and um, those that can understand that, you know, that the technology understand that it is a cost competitive source of supply. And, um, you know, and if they can understand the uh, total value stack, like you really need to understand finance, you need to understand power, you need to understand the uh, how, what the technology is to store enough uh, electricity to capture the uh, renewable wind or solar generation, you know. So it's certainly poised for accelerated growth, but I still think that there's, it's, it's almost, it's like offshore wind, which is that. Oh, interesting. It's, it, at least here in the U.S., not in other areas, in other places yeah. that are Here in the U.S., it's still in its infancy. And um, so I think that, you know, uh, that, that you can see black and white uh, data points in connection with costs. But it's still, you know, it's a lot of the value stack is still in its, its and what makes sense to make a project successful is not as cut and dry as it as it would be for solar or wind. Yeah. Well, can, can we run with that technology chain for a second? Because I feel like there is sort of a, a misunderstanding of in the, the people starting to, to wrap their head around storage where, you know, you've got the stems and the AMSs of the world who are really a software solution, right? Trying to financially maximize the deployment of the battery, whatever the battery is, right? Because then there's the technology of the actual hard battery, right? Whether it be a Tesla battery or lithium ion or, you know, some of the other ones that are being developed uh, around the country. Are you seeing people being able to sort of separate out those different technologies or do they see it, you know, they, do they see it as a package? Uh, do they risk it sort of differently? Because I think few people are, you know, it's going to be, it's getting hard to finance. It's still hard to finance some of these because people don't know if the company behind, uh, whether it be the technology, whichever one you choose is even going to be here in five years. Um, right. a lot of them were start only were startups only five years ago. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Please. So, so how are you getting, uh, how do you see, maybe I should, you know, maybe ask it more directly. How are you seeing folks in the finance industry, getting more comfortable with those different technology risks, or are they getting comfortable? I think um, that they are, you know, there's different technologies that support energy storage. And I think the trick is what what are the favorable energy storage technologies? And I think that that's tough. I think that it really depends on you know, um, they come in different forms. It's, you know, the key, the, the key commonality is to, you know, draw electric energy from the grid on command and dis- discharge most of this energy back to the grid 
at a later time. And this ability to flexibly move the energy across time is a tool that can be applied in many different applications, but a lot of this depends on what is the balancing supply and demand, and is this done on an hourly basis? Is there a buffering power flow? Is there a um, – do we need to store energy for downstream capacity? You know, so it's energy storage technology have different systems that can do this and store and hold, and they vary in terms of what they can hold, how they can hold, and, and the time over which they can store without significant loss. And some can operate at a grid level, absorbing the surplus energy from the grid and then delivering it back, and some can operate at the consumer level. But it's just it, you know, I, you'll, you'll notice that, which I found it interesting, that a lot of the different energy storage technologies are, um, they usually, uh, the company will usually focus on one segment, like whether it's a flywheel system or whether it's a battery system or whether it's just using lithium, you right. know, um, which I find interesting, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, um, I think that, you know, batteries, for example, they're, they're usually analyzed together as supercapacitors. They have high energy density but low power density storage media, um, and that's why um, supercapacitors are mainly used in hybrid renewable energy storage media to support other storage media, like lithium and um, sodium sulfide and zebra and um, nickel um, and lead acid. These are, you know, these are different dimensions for renewable energy energy use that is based on, you know, the like I was talking about the life cycle. Right. And you know, so it's 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 very difficult to. I would tell you, like energy storage, like with Acor, I don't want to. Uh, focus on a particular technology. I want to be agnostic right. about the energy because it really is very much a project per project basis. And you know, and of course, like Tesla is going to support Tesla. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right, right, right. So um, <laughs> it's just different. You know, it's just very different, and it's just based on what the what the um, application for the energy storage is being used yeah, for. Yeah, it's just making it harder to actually. Feel the financings at scale, right? Where right, uh, and I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was unique. Right, right, and I would just say what's critical from a financing perspective is that they need to be um, to be financeable. They have to they have to have some kind of. We need to know that the technology works. Right. It'd be great if there was more than a pilot project, or that there's enough, you know, successful projects that used this type of technology, you know, that, that is something we like to see because that tells us that there's, you know, bankability on this. It's not so, you know, new that we're taking technology risk because that's, that's what we want in financing is and bankability is we want certainty as much as possible. So where do you see, just looking ahead now, right, if, if you can pull out your crystal ball and, and look out to, you know, the, we're, we're, we're 2020, the launch of a new decade, 
you know, where if we looked back in 2030 at where the storage market is, uh, and I'd say maybe the renewable market as a whole, you know, where are we going to be? Where are we going to be in 10 years? I think that you know there's going to be further growth um, in the. In, I'm just speaking general in sure, yeah. renewable energy sector in the technologies. I think that there'll be increased innovation and collaboration among multiple different and sometimes completely unlikely stakeholders. Hmm. I think that uh, we are going to to continue to be moving uh, renewables um, in the electricity markets as utilities and regulators prefer clean energy to replace retiring old dirty (laughs) old uh, power generators and to choose to save costs as well as addressing uh, climate change concerns. I think that growth in, there'll be a growth in U.S. um, offshore wind sector. I think that's a new area for us here in the United States, which we're learning from our uh, European uh, counterparts that are here now. And, and I think that uh, that will bring multiple opportunities for industry players um, and for manufacturing and for port infrastructure projects. I see a lot of grid resiliency will be also a growing driver for uh, renewable deployment as uh, utilities and their customers uh, will demand renewable uh, energy to be combined with storage um, solutions. Right. Um, there's still some, as we know, although it's starting to, the fog is starting to clear, um, there's still trade, tariff, and administration policy concerns that will keep the industry, you know, will be on the lookout. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, but I do see... Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, looking at 10 years from now, right? I feel like hopefully yeah. we'll have smoothed out of the the roller coaster of the last four years, right? And even if there's another four years of this, like, you know, the, the, the growing trends are still supporting the, the market here, which is great. Which is great. Yes, and I see that um, technology and, you know, technology is absolutely key in addition to capital and financing here. Yeah. You know, so to, to having this grow. But it looks like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, I'm very, I'm bullish and I see a lot of new opportunities. And I see that um, this is just a new phase for our industry that is on an upward uh, trajectory. That's great. So, I, so I'm going to take completely change topics here for a second and yeah. sort of end with uh, a personal question. You are yeah. a, not only a leading dealmaker in the renewable markets, but you're also a trained chef and sommelier who, as I understand, can yeah. open a champagne bottle with a saber. How did that happen? Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> I, I'm one of those people where I live life to the fullest. Yeah. And um, I love to cook. I uh, did go to cooking school and I uh, it's very relaxing for me. And another very, very close to eating very well and cooking is, you know, wine, which changes the taste 
of fat and salt, basically, from the food that's in your mouth. Right. So I, yes, so I became a sommelier in wine. And I also have about, and there's there's, uh, quite a number of people in this space that have seen it. I have a saber. A saber is a special knife. Uh, uh, I had one that was handmade for me as a gift, but I, but I, as a working gift and it's about maybe two and a half feet and I use it to, um, slice off the top of champagne bottles. And there's a whole trick to that, but I did go to the hospital a few times on my hands. That's another podcast. That's another podcast, but I do have um, amazing closing dinners that I personally will be the uh, the chef du cuisine. Yeah, and with with and and I do wine tastings, and I uh, sometimes, not all the time, bring my saber depending on where we are, yeah. and sometimes I'll bring my saber also when. Uh, we're at the end of a deal. We're going to get, and we're going to, we have to like, you either sign it. or we're going to use a saber on You'll you. Lose a as a, uh, it's a prop. Right. It's a prop. It's a funny prop, but yeah. I love it. Mona. So yes, I love it. So, so yes. I, for, for our listeners, that'll replace our standard uh, end of, uh, end of interview question. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think that's a really interesting thing. And, and Mona, some other time at a, at a conference over drinks, I'll tell you when I first moved to Washington, DC, I actually lived in the wine cellar, uh, of a woman who founded the Christie's Wine Auction, and literally uh, oh, wow. that was my that was my I was I starting a nonprofit, had no money, so she let me sleep in a cot in her wine cellar uh, for a summer. It was uh, very educational for me. So uh, awesome. awesome! Wow, great! I'd love to hear that story. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mona, thank you so much. So much great information uh, for folks that are not familiar with the article we mentioned. You can go to Green Tech Media and pull it up. It's challenges remain and understanding energy storage as an investment. We'll link to it from our website, cleancapital.com. As always, you can get more podcast interviews and, and suggest folks we should be talking to uh, at, the, at cleancapital.com. I want to thank our uh, producers, uh, Lauren Glickman specifically for her help setting this up, and Carly Batten, who helps us at Clean Capital. We look forward to a future conversation, Mona, and you know, it was really honored to have you on here today. No, the honor is mine. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. And for our listeners, uh, as always, go to cleancapital.com to learn more, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.